Thank you, worship team. And thanks for joining us in that too. It's, I love what you said, Justin. It's not this building, it's not this place. It's last week we even got to really dive into that specifically. And it's, it's everywhere we're going, gathered, celebrating, praising, praying, asking questions, just diving in to God, right? That's what the church is. It's a community. We started the year off, we're focusing in on that. And actually starting up next week, uh, we're going to be with uh, Pastor Michael jumping into a series, really focusing in on that, the beauty of that connection, right? If you remember from January, we went through that series, there's those two Greek words, right, of what church is, koinonia, ecclesia, remember those ones at all? Like learned a foreign language, two words. Don't try speaking Greek, it's not easy. If you know those two words, it's not going to go very far. But, but it's, it's the gathering of people, but it's also not just getting together literally, right? That could be like a town hall meeting. It's actually an intimate, intentional connection. So that's what it is. Uh, kids, this is the time when you get to head on downstairs for a party designed just for you, service. There's worship, there's prayer, there's activities, there's games. You get to just dive into that. You can meet your teachers in the back. And again, huge thank you to the teachers who stepped up this morning. There's another flu bug going around. I think it's perpetual, especially when you have kids. So we just had a few people sick, and then the backups were sick, and then there's a few more people sick. And right now, actually, our drummer was running sound from back there, and he ran as fast as he could. So a few people wearing multiple hats this morning. So volunteers are amazing. Uh, and not just on Sundays, too. Even throughout the week, we've got, like, on Thursdays, for example, this amazing team of uh, volunteers, these guys who come out and just fix stuff on this building that are constantly... It's breaking all the time, right? So, yeah. You are all amazing. Thank you so much, volunteer team. But just as the kids are heading out, I, I have a story, something I want to share with you. But I'll ask first, uh, who here loves a good fiction story? Specifically like fantasy sci-fi, right? Like not just, yeah, oh good, you threw your hand up so proudly there, Shirley. I love it. Like Harry Potter. Yeah, oh good. So... I mean, it's fun. I don't often, like, I actually remember when I was really young, my, one of my teachers, like grade two or three, actually had a conversation with my mom about, like, I don't know if they maybe thought, like, hey, like, maybe watch out, your kid might be a little sociopathic. I never read any sort of fiction stuff. It was just, like, learning about trains and trucks and engineering and math and rockets. And there's, like, can you, like, make him read a story? Like, just he has some creativity in his mind? Uh, and that changed eventually. I don't know what it was. I just didn't care for stuff that wasn't real. And then finally, I started reading, you know, exciting books and stories, and I got into it. And then you get really into it, right? Like the good stuff where you just are completely immersed, and then the book all of a sudden abruptly ends, and you loathe coming back into the real world again. So back when I worked construction, I was doing stonework, and especially specifically on like really nice houses. And there was this one project in particular, this huge house that had thousands of square feet of this like really intricate granite work. And there was three big chimneys, like 80 feet high, and you had to do the work on like this small little genie lift that was stretched out 80 feet. And um, and the th thing that was super fun about it was, well, it was kind of fun, kind of not, but there was only enough room for like one person to work on at a time. Huge project. So I got assigned to that task, and it was just me, genie lift, giant house, quiet site for like three months. And I kept myself entertained by listening to audiobooks. And I kind of gave myself this challenge. I was going to listen to the entire collective works of C.S. Lewis, like everything, the essays, the, the biographies, the histories, the chronicles, and Narnia. And then 
I got to some of the lesser known stuff. Really good. Have you ever heard of his Space Trilogy series? Oh, man. Got to that. The second book in called Paralandra. Like, it's like Chronicles of Narnia in space with aliens. It's so good. And like so few people even, you probably had no idea about it, right? But it's one of my favorite now. And I remember at one time in particular, listening to Paralandra, going into it. And so start off the day, it was great. Had like a couple buckets of mortar, head up onto the lift. And then suddenly I'm like in, I'm immersed into the world, right? It's so cool. It's on this alien planet. And there's like, is this, the main character is trying to like maintain this Edenic like state in this newly created world, but there's some conflict and stuff. And then what's funny, the whole thing, the character's got this insane sunburn on like his shoulders and back. And so they keep commenting that he looks like a penguin from earth. Cause he's like light and dark. Anyways, I'm, I'm focused in it. Right. And then all of a sudden I get this beep, low battery. Beep, battery dead. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot to charge my headset. I didn't though. This thing's supposed to last like nine hours. And then I kind of came to and I realized I had been on autopilot an entire day. And I was literally like I nearly blacked out. I don't even remember. I, I did the work actually. It wasn't even that bad. I, somehow I did the work. I was just completely immersed. Like, I don't remember anything but the story. It was so, I was so bought into it, right? Have you ever had a moment quite like that? Yeah, not super safe being up in a genie lift, right? Like, don't tell work safe about that. But here's the thing. Like, we have a little bit of a pull to want to escape. There's this reason why collective humanity has a bit of a desire to write poetic creativity things, ways to kind of take little bits and pieces of what's true around us and to what kind of almost becomes a bit of a story and it becomes fantastical, extraordinary, almost like we're trying to make an escape. But, but you know, whether you're even like a big story buff or not, we have this desire to kind of explore a little bit more of what else is out there. It, even, even more so, when the, the movie Avatar came out in 2009, there was actually this fallout, literal pandemonium of people reporting huge levels of depression and anxiety and even suicidal thoughts because that escape into a world for that three hour long movie, they realized wasn't real and they couldn't find it. There's something in us that craves that surreal, extraordinary experience of life. It's something, and it, it amplifies what we kind of know to be true and it completely destroys the term normal, right? Maybe you're not really vibing on this. There's like a few of you who kind of get that. The rest of you are like, no, no, give me normal. I want normal. I want to explain everything. Anyone here? It's like a very good Mennonite model, right? Just keep it low key, all right? Keep me at like a, a level six. I don't want to go up to nine. So you know what though? It, it's not really surprising because honestly, the last few centuries of humanity has had this intentional secular push to make everything normal, to make everything explainable, to make everything rational, and to completely ignore or explain away the mystical, the abnormal, the extraordinary. And we're still left longing, and so we tell stories. And what I kind of want to do this morning is we're actually talking a little bit about storytelling, the kind of storytelling we do all the time in our lives, just by literally chatting with friends or connecting with, you know, coworkers or family or whether we're even just like text messaging back and forth. We tell stories about our lives if it's just a recap of the day or the things that we're interested in or passionate about or the stuff we can't stand or if we're complaining about the latest thing our politicians are up to. There's stories we're telling people about and 
what it is is because we're trying to describe the way one author put it, we're trying to create a narrative or a story in which we belong in. And we want that story to have a bit of transcendence and to show a beauty and what we decide is good and bad. Another counselor even kind of explained it more this way. We all have a narrative that describes our lives, a story, and we can't necessarily control the content or context, but we do control the way we present it and the language we use. And what's interesting is I'm not talking about the details or if you know, we're talking about climbing mountains or going to visit Narnia. Again, I'm stuck on C.S. Lewis. It's going to come up a lot today. It's not even in my notes. It's just there in my head. But it's the emotions we use when we're describing stuff. Did you ever watch that show, Lie to Me? I don't know if it's still on anymore. I remember from a long time ago, it followed this guy, is a premise about a man who is a master at detecting people telling the truth or if they're lying, and so is involved in like criminal interrogations and stuff. And, and what was interesting, one of the strategies he used wasn't assessing the details people spoke about, but the emotions they would tie to events when they were recounting stuff, when they were talking about things, whether they thought it was good or if it was bad or if this person was good or bad. The emotions that they tied to stuff revealed their true character. And so that's a huge piece about how we tell our stories and the things that we kind of include and in how we talk about stuff and matters in our life. Here's the thing. So what I'm getting at here is a couple weeks ago, we had the pleasure here for our Sunday service to hear about some people's stories, their testimonies, their experiences they've had where God has been uh, guiding them or pulling them through a moment in their time in life. That same weekend, I also was out at Camp Squia for the Impact Youth Retreat. Fantastic weekend. I went partially deaf. We didn't sleep well, four hours over the whole weekend. It was awesome. Glow sticks and candy and chips. I just blew my diet completely out of the water. Super fun weekend. And the speaker who was up that weekend was actually talking about, coincidentally, stories as well. Stories that uh, God actually tells us and that we get through the Bible and how we grow closer to Jesus based on the stories that come out of that. Um, and here's the thing, big picture, I want to build up a culture or a confidence in this community, this gathering we have here, Cedar Valley Church, that Cedar Valley Church isn't just a bunch of people who come to a place to hear me or Michael talk for a bit and sing a couple songs on repeat, but a place of a lively community of people who are bold enough to talk about the extraordinary things in their life, the miracles that they experience, the salvation they experience as part of their life, transformation in their life, to talk about their experiences and passions and challenges and unashamedly with God at the center of all of that. Pretty intimidating. Or you're like, no, let's do it. Let's go. It's just like so many blank faces, guys. So I'm just going to tell you then. We're just going to go into it. And I want to do this not because Grant thinks this is what we got to do next, but because it's literally a commandment in the Bible. It's literally required of us, asked of us by Jesus. The, one of the final things he even said is to go and spread the gospel. Go and tell people about all that you have seen. Go and tell people about what you have experienced. You can't keep it for yourself. And there's endless examples of this throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. But what we're going to be doing this morning is specifically taking a look in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking through a specific testimony and gleaning some examples from that. So if you got your Bibles or your apps, uh, we'll have some of the scripture on the screen behind me too. But the book of Acts, New Testament, is right after the Gospels. So you've got the four Gospel books. New Testament opens up, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then there's this book, Acts. Some of your translations might say Acts of the Apostles. 
And what it is actually is it's a recording, it's an account that occurs immediately after the gospel narratives. In fact, it's written by the same author who wrote Luke. Um, and a lot of scholars say, you actually, you should read like Luke and Acts should be the same thing. Study it all together as a continuation. And so the context setting it up, the gospels, Jesus followed the Gospels followed the life of Jesus up to the crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. He appears to the disciples. He gives them further instructions, challenges them, gets them ready for the Holy Spirit, tells them about his presence that will stay with him. And then he's gone. He ascends. And then immediately after, we get into the book of Acts. And it starts following through all the disciples, going off, telling people about all of this stuff, telling people about Jesus, spreading the word, usually on the run from, for their lives often being put into prison. And then partway through the book, we're introduced to this man named Saul, who will become one of the more focused people in the rest of this book in Acts and around chapter 13. And Saul, he's a devout Jewish religious leader, and he's out for blood hunting down these people who met Jesus, the disciples, who are spreading all this stuff. And his mind, heresies, his mind taking away from all that he holds true, and uh, imprisoning them and bringing them even up to execution. And that is until Jesus, risen Jesus, literally confronts him in this epic moment and completely shakes up his life. And even from then, his whole life is transformed and changed so much, he even starts going by his Greek name rather than his Hebrew name, Paul. So Paul, Saul. And then what's the point of that? I, you know, rather than me just saying it all, I'm going to let Paul tell his own story. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 22. What's interesting throughout Acts, there's about five different accounts of Paul saying the exact same thing. This is his conversion story. He's telling people about what Jesus did to him. Why is he motivated to do whatever it is up to the point of being beaten nearly to death? What are you doing, Paul? So he tells people over and over. And he tells anybody and everybody to kings, to enemies, to jail guards, to friends. I like this one in particular because he's literally talking to an angry mob that is yelling, trying to kill him. He's like, I got something to tell you. I got to talk to you right now. And so Acts chapter 22, we're just going to read through this and then we're going to go back to it and start gleaning from it, studying it, uh, get challenged by it. It's going to be really good. And so just a little bit of context before we hop right into Acts chapter 22 starting at verse 1. Immediately before that, what's happened is Paul's getting chased down by this crowd because he's teaching people about Jesus. They hate it. They're, they're after him. They start trying to grab at him. And then he's, there's guards who are like, what is all this commotion, Roman soldiers? And so they kind of grab him. And they're going like to bring him into the jail just to partially protect him and partially be like, you're causing problems. And so they're pulling him away while the crowd is throwing stuff at everyone. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And then Paul says, Paul says this, well, actually, he says it just before. He says, like, can I talk to them? Let me speak to them. So Acts chapter 22, starting around verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen, to, listen now to my defense. And then when all those people heard him, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Didn't practice that one before. Sorry, guys. But brought up in this city. I stundered under Gamaliel, Gamaliel, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council themselves can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring 
these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked, get up the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, that you are, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul running from an angry mob, guards are saying like, hey, we'll protect you, but come this way. We've got to interrogate you. Paul's like, let me talk to the dangerous, angry crowd. Like, you're nuts, man. And what's he going to do? Just give an excuse? And he just spews it all out. And he just tells him his story. Not even too long-winded, just this is what's happened to me. Let me tell you just honestly, the accurate facts. This is what has happened to me. And then you start judging from yourself. Here's the thing, what we're going to be doing, I want to go through this and pull some examples from, from this testimony, from other testimonies throughout the Bible, from powerful stories I've heard that have helped me understand God better. I think there's a few key points about how when people talk about their life's experiences, when people, when you and I talk about God in our lives, the relationship we have with God, ways that we can kind of focus on making that impactful and powerful and staying true to even kind of the example Paul sets up for us here. So here's the thing, and, and you can write these down if you've got notes. They're really good. I love them. Five points because, you know, even numbers seem awkward in a list. So five points. The first one is don't wait for the perfect moment. Paul's moment wasn't very ideal, right? In fact, he's, he's actively working against the people who are kind of trying to save him, but are also his enemies and everything. There's no such thing as an ideal moment here, but right at the start of it, the violence of the crowd in Acts chapter 21, 35 says, the violence of the crowd was so great, the soldiers had to carry Paul away from the crowd as they grabbed at him. And I say this specifically because we have this tendency when we want to talk about ourselves and our faith or the things that we believe in, the things that we're passionate about, we have this tendency to excuse ourselves from those moments as much as possible, right? Ask yourself if you've ever said these kind of things in your head. You've had this thing like, I don't know them well enough yet. We haven't established that relationship. So I'll wait until four years in, eight years in, 27 years in, then we'll know each other well enough, right? Or, 
or you're not, you haven't been specifically called up to a, a stage with a podium in the pulpit. Like this, you're not meant to talk right now. You just sit and keep taking in, right? You haven't, that your moment hasn't come. You're not given the organized platform or you haven't rehearsed it yet. You haven't written it out and memorized it and prepared yourself enough yet, right? The moment's not right. They wouldn't get it if I just use the language of, of whatever. They need to know better. We give ourselves excuses over and over again. But I like reading like here where, where Paul says he just starts talking and he gives a bit of a baseline, right? He meets them at their level. Hey, like what language do you speak? Okay, good. We both speak English. Awesome. Let's go, right? Paul's speaking Aramaic them and they, they love it. They're like, hey, good. We can hear you. I can speak your language. That's about as far as the baseline he goes to establish like now let's go. Let's talk. What's interesting when Paul shares his testimony in the five different times in Acts, you would think like this is it's the Bible, right? It's been scripted down and recorded. It cost a lot of money back then to have a scribe record stuff on papyrus. It, it should be like dead accurate and the same, but it's a little bit different every time because Paul's just saying like, this is what happened to me. I'm just sharing the experiences. So don't wait for the perfect moment. Don't wait for the platform. Just talk naturally. And then here's the second part, the second point, which honestly makes it a little bit easier. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't alter your story to sound prettier or cleaner or tidier. I'll be completely honest. This morning, too, I finished writing some of my notes here last night, and I thought I'll have all morning to work on it, and that wasn't until uh, I had to take on the sound cues and we had to figure out some other tech issues, and then we had to prep the Sunday school lesson. So I'm not very rehearsed this morning. I do have the luxury of talking way more than I ever wanted to in my life through a microphone. But don't wait until you're so rehearsed and fine. Just speak honestly and naturally. And I like, again, here we see in Paul's testimony here, Paul just owns it, that he was in the wrong. He owns the fact that he should be arrested as a murderer. He owns the fact that he was on the wrong side of what he now believes is his own worldview. He doesn't say, he doesn't excuse himself. He doesn't say, I made weird mistakes in the past and I did stuff that I, you know, I, I shouldn't have. He just says, I was awful and God still came to me. I don't know that many of you here have intentionally led a man to their death against an innocent man, but Paul starts off saying that this is who I am and yet I'm saying I'm worthy of, being, of you listening to me telling you about God. Uh, on Friday here at the church, we got the... Uh, we had a drama done for youth and young adults. Uh, Ryan Scramstead from Youth Unlimited, he runs the Jester's Theater program out here. He had this monologue drama, which was very interesting. It's called Letters to Myself. And what it was was following through his, his life, uh, especially through adolescence, development, and kind of the voices that argue with us, the voices of doubt and guilt, the voices of overconfidence and temptation. And he had this uh, presentation where he was monologuing with himself, recounting events from his past while speakers and pre-recorded uh, clips would speak to him and he would dialogue back and forth. And it was amazing. It was like 75 minutes long of this intense monologue. And I was at the back, I had the script and I'm firing through all the cues. It was about 86 pages of script. And it was incredible. And I went to him after. I said, how did you memorize that? The, the, the play itself was really good, too. I'll say that much. But I was impressed with him. How did you memorize that? And he said, he said this. I thought it was so good. He's like, it honestly isn't that hard because I'm not memorizing something that I can't relate to. This is just me talking about my life. 
And it was raw and real and visceral. Let me tell you about his talking about him entering through his adolescence, puberty time, and the different things he was exposed to, the different things he experienced, the different awful things that he would do with his friends, and even the different traumatic events he went through his life. It was just real and raw. And he was like bang on, dead on on the whole script. And he's like, because this is just this is just me. I'm just sharing with you me. And if you get into a bit of a state in of talking about yourself and talking about your faith and talking about church of like, okay, how can I alter this or, or change the details, you know? So it seems a bit more understandable. You start getting lost in your allegories. You start getting lost in the metaphors. Just be straight and real. So don't sugarcoat when you're talking about your experiences. What did you do last weekend? I, we went, so we do this thing called church and we go to church, but then this weekend we just went all around town and we we're praying over stuff. I'm going to get back to that after. It's very cool. Being real and authentic is countercultural. In a culture where you need to present yourself in a good enough way to get ahead, to do whatever, to win approval, just being honest and visceral and real is impactful because if there's one thing people can see through, it's BS. People know when you're hiding stuff, when you're not being real, when you're not being honest. And so actually a testimony of God is saying, I know who I am and this is all that God has chosen to work in my life, so that's good enough for me to accept and I'm just going to be myself. Point three, who is the hero when you're talking about your life, your experiences, your stories? Who's the main character? The challenge here I want to say is don't shy away from celebrating God. Like regularly when you're talking about your life, your experiences. I worked with this guy, again, back in construction, who I, I loved it because he would regularly call people out for using the term luck especially people who are followers of Jesus, and they would talk about some miraculous event. They survived this insane car crash. Truck was totaled, and they'd say, oh, I'm so lucky. And he'd always say, no, friend, that's not, it's not luck. There's a God who's in charge, and he wanted you around today. And he'd just call it out. And then if he was ever talking too, there was no luck, there was no coincidence. He would just say, God's in charge. Paul strongly points out that he was a mess Jesus was the turning point in his life. Paul didn't just come to his senses. He didn't just sit down and study and figure out, like, actually, this way makes a bit more sense. I'm going to do that now. He says, there was nothing that would have changed my direction or changed anything about me other than this blinding light and this thundering voice in this insane event that happened that came and dropped all of us down to our knees. God's the hero. And he steps himself out of the way. I keep going on this one. Number four, and this is my favorite. This is the fun part. And, and this is going to be some of the challenge I think we can all grow in. Keep it weird. Talk about your life like it's a little bit weird. Talk about church and faith like it's a little bit weird. Because this is a little bit weird, right? Paul's story is a little bit weird. I hope there's somebody here who's joining in who this is their first time. And they're like, I've never heard that story. And there's a voice and he is blind. I don't get it. Because if you're like me, and, and if you've grown up in the church the whole time, and you hear these things, and it sounds normal, Easter, you talk about this man came out of the grave, and you celebrate, and it's, it's great. It's weird. <laughs> and, and I'll be totally honest, I grew up in a bit of a context uh, for faith that kind of described like, you know, I, I literally grew up hearing that we can think about ways to disguise Jesus in everyday life, and disguise 
the miracles and the extraordinary acts of God in the Old Testament with explainable kind of ways, right? And, and you kind of develop this way to just explain everything away in, in normal terms and in normal understandings in our normal world. But here's the thing. If, if we take a look, if you have a worldview that's guided by Jesus and you can take a look at the world around us and you're like, There's, something's not right. Out there is kind of weird, right? That means our worldview guided by God should be weird to them. Should be weird to somebody who doesn't understand God. God should be weird. And so the challenge here I want to say is when you've experienced incredible things, transformations in your life, stuff that you can't experience or explain, just own it. Paul didn't describe a way saying there was a, probably a lightning storm that just hit in the wrong spot and we were caught off guard. No, he said God made this blinding light and it was so bright, I was blind, I couldn't even see. There was this voice, it was crazy. And then this man just said, see, and I could see. Keep your stories weird. There's a testimony of a man, an author, Nabil Qureshi, who was a powerful uh, evangelist to the uh, Islamic community for, for Christianity. He was a Muslim man who grew up with a, he had developed a powerful worldview that completely synthesized his religious worldviews with naturalism. And what was interesting is the thing that challenged him constantly was running into, and especially in, in high school, he had run into the Christians who drove him nuts because he had answers to everything. And then he'd, he'd run into people who followed Jesus and they would tell him about Jesus. And he'd push back. He had an answer to try to take down their faith completely. And they would just smile and say, oh, I don't know. And it frustrated him. And then he'd say, they would say something about like, man, I just like, God spoke to me and told me that I want to get baptized. And he'd say like, how did he speak to you? Did you study what passage? Can you show me the thing? I don't know. And he was frustrated until they kind of said, have you ever pursued a relationship with Jesus? Do you want to try? And he just went for it. And he started to experience a thing that seemed unexplainable. So here's a bit of the challenge. I think we kind of need to say, if we're a follower of Jesus, if we have a worldview shaped by the gospel, I think we need to keep it a little bit weird because I think our world is a little bit weird and we can't just try to normalize everything and make, bring God down to that level. Let's keep him mystical. Like those fantasy stories that we're so engulfed in, the stuff that seems extraordinary and outside of the normal in our world is not actually that far because we have a God who can interact completely outside of normal in our world and he does constantly. And I know there are many of you who have experienced extraordinary miracles in your life. And I know for myself, I've, I've often wanted those, but I've had these unexplainable interactions and conversations and, and moments in my life that I just have to attribute to saying, because God's weird and God's present and he does extraordinary things in our life. Now, here's the thing. When you start being weird, this brings us to the last point and the thing that Paul experienced first on too. Don't sweat the inevitable rejection. Because not everybody is going to be stoked about you talking about your life confidently with God at the center of it. See, Paul, Paul's testimony, right? He was refined. He told everything accurately. He even built himself up like crazy. He said, I've got the same heritage as you, and I went to the right places with all these well-respected uh, religious people. Should have gone over really well, right? Well, here's, here's the follow-up from it. Uh, it comes up in verse 22 on to the crowd. Listen to Paul. And when he said this, and they said, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And they shouted and threw their cloaks and dust and rocks at him. And they grabbed him to splay him out to be flogged so that five soldiers had to come and pull him out of this mob. That's rejection. 
Now, we're, we're in a different cultural context. I can almost guarantee that's not the outcome for talking about God. But you might get rejected talking about God. You might have friends start ghosting you a little bit, not getting back to you, not sending you messages back. You might have people start shying away a little bit from conversations in you. You might get awkward questions. You might get criticisms. You might get challenges when you talk about God openly. But Jesus never promised popularity. And in fact, he actually said something along the lines of, people will probably think you're nuts if you talk about me. But remember, they went after me and thought I was nuts. And in fact, they killed me over the stuff I said and talked about of God my Father. It's my horrible paraphrase from John 15, 18. Jesus said, they will probably hate you, but they hated me first. That's kind of the promise, right? So I'm, I'm not doing a very good sales pitch this morning to faith, but what I am saying is that there is more out there than just mundane and normal, and there is an experience. And I think a lot of us here have that experience, but we don't really tell people about it. We kind of keep it hidden and in to ourselves too much. So why go through all of this? This message, I know it's, it's not really going to equip you with the tools and language to say, now say this, and it's going to do it. There's no pocket of tracts or cards you can hand out that are going to make people think God's a great guy. What I hope is that we start getting a little bit more encouragement and challenge to just incorporate some bravery into our dialogue daily when we're talking about our day. With your spouse, start it up. Is God part of your day present? God part of your day regularly? And then maybe here's the thing, take a look at like, ask yourself this, you know, it's so easy to talk about the small talk stuff, your TV series you're on through, home projects, what stuff you're going through, right? Something really funny you saw, a meme, like I, I know my sadly biggest way of just communicating with a lot of my long distance friends now is just sending TikTok videos and reels back and forth and like that's our language now. It's very shallow, it's sad. There are, you know, there are God-speaking TikToks and reels and stuff too you can use. But ask yourself this, honestly. Is, if God is part of your life, does God come up in conversation often? Like, is he even in the top five, top ten? as just a piece of your life. And then, and then that should be a little bit of a challenge, right? Like, so where does God fit into your life amongst all the other stuff that is part of your regular conversation, the stuff coming out of our mouths? And I don't want this to be a guilt that weighs us down because it's not an accident. Here's the real truth. There is an enemy who doesn't want God celebrated in our language, who doesn't want the works of God known or talked about or elaborated on. The devil works hard to smother any attempts to talk about God as a good God. Pay attention literally to how hard it is. If you actually take up this challenge from this morning and you start wanting to talk about God, pay attention to the stuff, the self-dialogue you'll have going on in your head about the excuses. Pay attention to the literal bizarre circumstances that come around you that will prevent you. I remember this one time going to this meeting I had to get to and there was like bad traffic, my car had an issue. Like things literally start impeding us from talking about God when you pay attention to those moments, when you start intending to. It will be physically and metaphorically and literally harder for you to talk about Jesus in your life than other things. And that's not an accident. So literally us practicing and 
performing and just having open dialogue about God in our lives is actively fighting back against Satan and against the works and powers of evil in our world. And it actively and effectively spreads the good news about Jesus. Not because of some long speech, but because of just little moments. Like what we did uh, a couple weeks ago when we were sharing stories here too. The idea is just like five-minute little moments. Like, this was God in my life. I hope that's something we start doing more and more here in this church community. So here's, here's an encouragement is just to start including Jesus in your storytelling. Don't overcomplicate it. Just be authentic and real. Remember those pieces, right? We've got here, we've got just don't wait for the perfect moment. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't work to refine it too hard. Keep God as the hero. Keep it weird. And expect rejection. Literally just talking about stuff that will build up. I guarantee you, God says, I will be with you and I will provide for you. I don't think we often take him up on that promise enough. Last weekend, we, we got together for church and it was weird, right? For those of you who are out here too, we just went all around our city and it's so fun, right? Like the conversation, like, hey, what'd you do last weekend? Oh, well, I, I, there's this community of people I connect with on Sundays, right? And we just went around the city and we just like prayed for it. Like, oh, what do you mean? Just like randomly around town? Yeah, around our city. We love it. There's some, there's some key places we gathered and we had some small groups and we just prayed for redemption and wisdom and salvation and for God's presence to be in it. And then somebody might say, that's kind of weird. It is weird, but we also think our God is powerful and he actually is present in those things. So we prayed over our schools and we prayed over the industry and the workforce. We prayed over people who experience and are crushed by mental health issues, who even get out to the bridge to, to make tragic ending decisions for it all. We prayed over our city hall because we think God is powerful enough to affect our leaders. Oh, wow, that's intense. It is intense. And what do you do? Vote every four years? That was my weekend. How was yours? Maybe bringing that up more regularly will be the antidote to the messed up normal in our world. And then the challenge. I just want to invite the worship team up to you, and we're going to sing a song just to end off, a very powerful song that really focuses on this heart of speaking Jesus Listen to people's stories, and especially if you're here and you're a bit more on like the searching side, right? And, and you're like, I don't really have like God experiences, but this is weird and intriguing, and I'm curious about it. I love big stories and fantasies. Start pursuing those stories. So this is kind of a two-piece as well, that for those of you following Jesus, you need to be sharing them, because as much as there's going to be rejection, there will be a few who listen openly, who will hear about God with intrigue, who are seeking, and your story that interaction, your explanation might be the very first time they ever hear about the work of God in somebody's life. So continue pursuing, continue looking with openness, curiosity, and expect God to be abnormal and extraordinary. We're just going to finish off in a song. I'm going to come back up and we're going to pray together.